Hi, you're listening to a brand new episode of Ask Akar Anything on Audiomatic.in, a show where you ask the questions, I answer them. Simple, you send your questions to me via email at aaa at audiomatic.in. You can also send them through Facebook and Twitter. Anonymous asks from Chandigarh, why do stereotypes sell more than sex in Bollywood? Very good question. Sex does sell in Bollywood, but stereotypes, I agree with you, sell more. And the reason is that when we want a good story, we want it to talk to us at many levels. It should relate to us at the socio-cultural level in the main. That's why the great texts of of any culture tend to be uh, conservative texts. We like the Mahabharat and the Ramayana for why the hero treats the female, for instance, or what he does with the villain. Sex is one aspect to it, not the main aspect. I think the main aspect is always what is a good society? What is a good man? How is he to behave? How is a good woman to behave? And all the stereotypes that are possible in a culture are deployed in those texts, whether they are written or they are filmed. That is what makes them successful. Ujwal Das emails this question. Bombay is perceived as a city of dreams in popular culture. What do you think are the factors that have contributed to this idea? The biggest factor is that the people of Bombay, the people of North Bombay in particular, Bollywood, have written this myth about themselves and they have driven it home into the rest of us through film. It was true to some extent that Bombay was the place where you could make it in economic terms no matter where you came from. When I first came to Bombay from Surat, I was at the cusp of 25 and I was staying with a friend's sister. Uh, I didn't have a place to stay nor did I have money for rent and that friend told me that in Bombay when you went to somebody for a job they didn't ask you what your father's name was or where you came from. They only had two questions. What could you do for them and how much you would charge? I really like that idea. But over time I have felt that this is something that most of India has that Bombay is not unique in being the kind of workplace heaven that we have thought of it as being for many years. Perhaps it is true that women are safer there at the workplace than they are in, say, northern India. But I think even too much is made of that. I think there are other parts of the country, southern India for sure, Gujarat, my home uh, state for sure as well, where women are as safe as they would be in Bombay, which is to say not very safe compared to many other parts of the world, but relatively safe. Today, I think Bombay no longer can be said to be the place of dreams. I think there is much more work available for the middle class in many other parts of the country, the south in particular, uh, Gurgaon and Noida and those parts of Delhi also. If it was ever true that Bombay was the place of dreams, I don't think it is any longer. Hi, I'm Anusha and my question to you is, why do you think when a woman wants a successful career and kids, it is deemed as having it all, you know, and while that is not considered to be the case for men, is it because even in urban and educated spaces, we believe that raising kids is a woman's job? I would agree with you entirely. I think that we have a gender problem not just in the poorer parts of the world, but in Europe and all the rich parts of the world where there is a very large section of the population that is condescending towards uh, the female that sees her place as naturally being in home and in the kitchen rather than at work. And if she were to be at work, it is mainly taken as something that she also ought to be doing. The main task, the main role being that of the homemaker. 
I think that with men, success comes primarily out of their work. And this is, I think, the wrong way of looking at it. People who have raised families successfully ought to be seen in that light. For some reason, they are not. And I think the reason is this, that we are gender biased as a race. This is not culture specific. And I see this going on for a very long time. Himanshu Pawar asks on email, Akar, do you think in the next 50 or 100 years, India or China will once again be the world's largest economies? Also, will the next generation have a chance to live in a peaceful Indian subcontinent or is this a fool's dream? In the next 50 years, India and China will not be the world's largest economies. India is today per capita about $1,500 per year and China is about four times that, six and a half thousand, seven thousand. The US is 50,000 US dollars. The easy part, the lift-off stage of uh, GDP growth tends to be at the bottom and India and China have done that reasonably well, but many nations have done that. India is at the bottom of what are the middle-income economy countries with a population that is mostly poor, mostly malnourished. China is at the top of the middle-income economy countries. I was just there for a couple of weeks uh, a month ago and I think it is poised to enter European grade. But the problem is that the U.S.'s economy, the reason it is so dominant is not because it has good laws or just because it has better governance. I think it's because it has the world's brightest population and a culture that is inclined towards scientific invention. If you look at really basic things like connecting people on the Internet, Facebook, Twitter, that sort of thing, all of that tends to come out of the U.S., not out of China, certainly not out of India. As long as the inventive stuff is is not happening in the third world, it cannot aspire or hope to be as big as the first world nations. This will have to change the way that we are um, educated, the way that we relate to one another will all have to change. I don't see that happening in 50 years. The second part of the question was, will we have the chance to live on a peaceful Indian subcontinent? Depends on what we mean by peace. If by peace we mean an absence of war, we are living in a peaceful subcontinent. I think the last proper war was fought in our parts at least in 1971-72. Kargil was a bit of a scum Yes, it's true that they had a war, a very long civil war in Lanka, but for the most part, I think the 20th century has been far more peaceful on the subcontinent than it has been for a millennia before that. Pratyush Raj on email. Why is it that the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship is so negatively charged in India when it doesn't seem like this in the West? Do you think Indian mothers of sons are inherently mean or does this have something to do with the portrayals of this relationship in TV serials and movies? My speculation here is that we have ancestor worship in India. We have great respect for parents and elderly relatives which is absent from many parts of the world. This is one reason. When I first went to the US at the age of 16, I was struck by how people my age referred to their uncles often by their first name, Charles or Tom or or whatever their name was. And uh, this was very different from the way it was in India where you had to touch feet and there was no question, um, of course, of using their first name. Living together with somebody, I think, adds that difficulty which we have which is not there in other parts of the world where you might need to have a little less of independence and therefore a little more respect physically and in the everyday manner 
for your uh, mother-in-law. Uh, it is a cliche to say that there is a problem between a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. But I think it is to some extent out of this uh, closeness that when you're supposed to live together as we were expected to do for many centuries, you will have some sort of a friction where both of you have a claim on that son. I read a very um, interesting book on uh, Japanese society by this writer called Chi Nakane and she says something that I hadn't thought of. She says that in Japanese society where they also live with their uh, parents, the daughter-in-law didn't have the kind of freedom to express her anger and her uh, dissent as she did here in India. And uh, the example she cited was uh, the very loud shrieking of the woman in the slums who, when she was uh, fighting with somebody in the family, had the freedom to go out to the streets and externalize what was a family argument that was not open to the Japanese daughter-in-law. So while I think that there are certain problems that we have, there are certain other problems that some of the other cultures have. Lastly, I think that in, in time, the middle class um, attitudes to the woman at work and the nuclear family, both are sort of bringing this to an end. Hi, I'm Karthik. Uh, I have a question for you. Looking at India's dismal record at the Olympics and other similar events, I can't understand why Indians, being such a populous nation, are so poor at most sports. Uh, cricket, of course, is a notable exception, and to some extent, tennis. Any thoughts on that? I think there are some physical reasons why we are not very good at sports. Uh, 38% of all children in, in India are stunted at the age of two because of uh, malnutrition. That's one big reason. So the base immediately comes down by a third. The physical life is much more difficult to follow and practice in a part of the world which is very warm, very humid. That is the second reason that you don't have as much outdoors activity purely for leisure as you might in a northern country. I think there is also the aspect of sports as a pleasure and I don't know of too many texts in our uh, culture which talk about it. I think in Europe uh, you've got Rousseau's work uh, Emil, which uh, brought modern Europe into the outdoors life and to sports purely as a leisure rather than competition. And we all know about how in ancient Greece, where you had the birth of um, uh, the Olympics, we had uh, competitive sports in a place for a very long time. So we don't have the uh, traditions, we have very bad weather, we don't have the physical abilities, we don't have the size. All those four reasons will mean that it is unlikely that we will be able to dominate sports in a way that uh, European nations have for a long time. China, I think in a few, my guess is in about 15 or 20 years, they will be the world's most dominant sporting nation. And the one difference where we, with uh, China I see is that the Chinese are as small as we are as a nation and a race, but they're very fit. Uh, their smallness doesn't come out of uh, malnutrition or malnourishment. I think it comes out of just their genes. But given their small size, I think they're extremely fit. So yes to China, no to India. Hi, my name is Ryan and my question is, do you think that it's important uh, for a person to go through a period of struggle in their life, whether it's financially or health-wise or work-wise? And conversely, do you judge people if they have it too easy in life? 
फॉर एग्जाम्पल इफ दे इनहेरिट अ फैमिली बिजनेस और दे लिव अ वेरी कम्फर्टेबल लाइफ I don't think it is important to struggle I don't know what the word struggle means somebody who's very wealthy can still struggle I think uh, the Ambani family for instance very wealthy most of the wealth has come down from the father do they not struggle I think they do in many ways they struggle with their weight they struggle with accidents in cars um they struggle I suppose at a slightly lesser level when their team loses the human being is a condition to react to stress and to trauma in very specific ways um what constitutes that trauma or stress differs i think that you could have somebody who is very poor and have uh, relatively less stress than somebody who's wealthy does it mean that somebody who inherits a lot of wealth is different in many ways than somebody who isn't i would say the answer is no that um, given the relativity of these things and the the unity in the way that human beings react to certain external stimuli i would say it's not very important or necessary for us to have struggled the second part of your question do i judge people who have it very easy in life is easily answered and it would be no i think it is not something that they chose to be it is something that came to them and there are many people i know who had a relatively easy youth for instance azim premji but did something with their lives that many people who struggle a lot couldn't do or won't do so i don't think it is that circumstance i think it is what the individual makes of it hi my name is ruhi and my question to you is if you had to bring back a deceased politician or a movie star who would it be and why i'll bring back gandhi to show him what a mess we've made of the work he did i'd just like to see his face when he sees it that's all the questions for today if you'd like to ask me a question send it in to aaa@automatic.in you can also write to me on facebook and on twitter i'll be back next week with more answers in the meantime we'd love to hear what you think of the show so please send in your comments and suggestions at aaa@automatic.in For some real food knowledge tune in to the real food podcast by Vikram Doctor on audiomatic.in in his latest show Mr Doctor investigates why some varieties of Indian bananas are dying out hmm. and remember you can listen to all our shows on audiomatic.in or on your favorite podcast app including iTunes Pocket Cast Stitcher and Player FM